following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. This morning, we're going to take a look at a biblical definition of faith. Now, most people don't think a lot about what faith is other than to say it's sort of a, a subjective feeling of hope about the future, a subjective feeling of hope about the future. And that's not wrong, but there's more to it because as we will see, faith is more than a, more than a feeling. So please find Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bibles and for there we get sort of a, a biblical description of faith or perhaps even you might call it a definition of faith. When we think about faith in the human sense and amongst relationships, amongst people, perhaps the, the marriage is the greatest depiction we can think of. Uh, when I first met Chrissy, it was on a blind date, and that alone, a blind date, is uh, that's an act of faith to be willing to go on a blind date. And for all you know, the person is utterly insane, and you won't find out until uh, you place your order at the restaurant. And as it would turn out, she was not crazy, but I went there on this blind date, and uh, I was nervous going to it. I hadn't been on a date in a while, and the fact is, we were going to a, 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 she went to a Christian sorority called GAL, Gamma Alpha Lambda, and they had a formal dance. And so uh, I was set up on the blind date, and the guy said, it's not a date, uh, but she just needs a guy to go and get dressed up in a a suit or, and and go to this thing, but it's not a date. And so when I, when I finally talked to her, uh, she said, I need a date. So I was like, that's kind of what I thought this was. And so we went, and I, I went to her house to pick her up. And up, my friend Russ, who set us up, kept calling her Christy with a T. It's Chrissy, no T. But I, even when she introduced herself on the phone, uh, she said Chrissy, but I didn't catch it. It was still Christy. It wasn't until I was at the house and her mom yells at the stairs, Chrissy. It was like, note to self, her name is Chrissy, not Christy. So we go to this dance, and my greatest fear was not so much that I was a bad dancer, which I knew that, but more that she would leave me by myself as she had a great time with her friends. Thankfully, that didn't happen. And so in our relationship, we go from I don't even know her name to we get married, and now we're coming up on 15 years. And when you think about marriage, when I got married, Chrissy gave me her her ring. She gave me her hand, but more importantly, she gave me her word, and I gave her mine. There was steel in her word. Some people talk about marriage as just a, con- just a piece of paper, and I say rubbish. It was a contract, a covenant, actually. And in the middle of all this speaking and this giving of rings, like, like ladies, you're not going to like this, but you don't have to have a ring at the ceremony. The fact of the matter is, the steel that made the building that is the marriage is the word that we said, I do. And we meant it. There was steel in her words and steel in mine. When I was in Ellington, we built a sanctuary and I got to see a foundation built, never, see, never paid attention. It's not just cement, as it would turn out. Woven into the cement of most buildings is steel. It helps it stay strong. It helps it maintain its integrity. And I'm not an expert. I'm assuming that it helps it also be flexible when need be. 
But in, in a marriage, con, marriage covenant, in, in the vow of marriage, the, the word, the promise that I will be yours and, and that if you'll take me, I'll be yours and, and off we go in marriage. And perhaps that is a, a wonderful picture of faith. I go from hardly knowing her to really not even knowing her name and then 15 years later, we know each other intimately. Uh, she just recently, we merged our retirement accounts and that was an account that she had before we got married. And this is just lives weaving together because we trust each other. Just recently, I heard of a celebrity, celebrity athlete. I'm not bashing him. It's become known that he had recently been divorced, and it was said it was easy because they had a prenuptial agreement, that thus making it very easily to dissolve their financial relationship. Might I suggest to you that that, well, I'm just going to leave it alone. Maybe there wasn't so much steel in their words. Nevertheless, when we think about marriage as kind of a picture of the life of faith with God, you begin with this confident trust in, in Jesus and who He is and what He's going to do, and you, you set on this journey together, and there's ups and downs, and there's things that you don't expect to happen, and yet Jesus remains faithful. In our passage this morning, let me give you the backdrop of what's going on. The book of Hebrews, the, the believers in Hebrews, they, uh, they began believing in Jesus. They were from the Jewish background, and they began in faith in Jesus at a time when the world was against the church. It's not been all that different in human history, but they didn't have a Veterans Day where soldiers would reflect, we'd reflect on what soldiers did to guarantee that we have freedom to worship. They didn't have that. And now by this point in time, it appears that they've lost steam in their journey of faith. They're beginning to shrink back when they used to be bold in their statement that Jesus is Lord. They were giving up spiritual ground, sins that they had left aside, that apparently they've begun to pick them up again. Perhaps they wanted to fit in better with the world around them. Some stopped attending church regularly. And some were even tempted to abandon salvation by grace through faith in Jesus and return to Judaism from which they came. To give you a little understanding of what's going on, the larger world around the Judaism and Christianity, for that matter, didn't really respect Judaism except for this one fact. It was old, and therefore it was given standing. And so while the Roman world didn't like the Jews' religion necessarily, because it was old, they were tolerated. And originally they looked at the church as just a sect of Judaism. But as time went on, they began to recognize, no, 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 the Jews seemed to hate this group called the followers of Christ. And the world began to turn against them, and so it was quite tempting to say, you know what, why don't we just go back to trying to keep the Old Testament law. Our circumstances are certainly different than theirs, but we still struggle with the same symptoms. When our faith is weak, our zeal for the Lord will be weak. The quality, catch this, the quality and impact of our Christian life will rise and fall on the level of our faith in Jesus. The quality and impact of our Christian life will rise and fall with the level of our faith in Jesus because our zeal is oftentimes and usually fueled by faith. Faith is the fuel of zeal. The Holy Spirit begins in us. He births in us the confidence to trust in Jesus for salvation. But over time, as we face trials or simply fall, fail in our, in our faith in certain areas, we can easily find our faith weakened. The goal of the book of Hebrews, if you read it from cover to cover, 
is to see Christians resume or continue their journey of faith. And this is the direction that the Holy Spirit is leading us this morning as we examine the anatomy of faith. Join me, if you would, in Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by the people of old received their commendation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for our, our, our veterans who have sacrificed so much and those who are currently uh, away from home defending our country. We thank you for them and their sacrifice. We thank you for the freedom to worship. We thank you for the church. And more than anything, we thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our world does talk about faith and trust. They don't always realize they are, but they are. I remember about mm, probably 30 years plus ago hearing that uh, Ronald Reagan as the United States and Russia were starting to try to forge a relationship of trust. Historically, we've had this thing called the Cold War. Thankfully, it never turned into a hot war because it would have been ugly and deadly. But they began, things began to thaw out. They began to form a relationship. Ronald Reagan characterized a relationship this way. Trust, but verify. Trust, but verify. In other words, we're going to trust you as far as we can prove it. And so in, inherent in that is the recognition the trust was are anything but fool. And then when we think about relationships with others, we would say things like, our word is our bond, and we would give a handshake. But as time unfolds, we realize that men and women sometimes lie. And so we have contracts and contract lawyers. Not too long ago, I remember hearing a lawyer trying to defend something he had done and something he had said by saying, well, that depends on the definition of the word is. And so what we see is this. Humans, we speak and we act and we do, and our words should be a statement of truth. Otherwise, it is hard for people to trust us. In our past, this morning, we are looking at the anatomy of faith because ultimately, men and women who walk with God will walk by faith. So we, it would behoove us, it would be good for us to have an understanding of what faith is. First off, in verse 1, we see a definition of faith. Take a look at verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is confidence based on the internal work of the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll defend that part about the Holy Spirit in a little bit, but get this. When Jesus, before he was uh, arrested and crucified, he was preparing his disciples for, his, for what was about to come, and he said, it is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. And he explains uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world about sin and righteousness and about me. When you and I get saved, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, it's because of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. When we look as outsiders looking in, it looks like it's a sort of a human engagement. If you watch Billy Graham preach and you heard him and you him preaching this wonderful sermon and people come forward and they give their life to Christ, you might be tempted to think it's because he was an elegant speaker, but I'm certain because I've heard Billy Graham talk about it that he didn't put that much stock in his own preaching ability. Because the truth is, it wasn't his preaching ability that led people to Christ. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. I've been in youth ministry meetings and I've heard this preacher going on and I thought, 
land the plane, nobody's listening, and then when he was done, people came forward to get saved. Number one, I was wrong. Number two, what you see is that ultimately, our salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Why does that give me hope? Well, and every week uh, for the last few months, I've been preaching at an Alzheimer's unit in a nursing home. And on the human level, there's not a lot of confidence that I have that they're going to mentally grasp what I'm saying. But what gives me hope is the reality that ultimately salvation is not because we're smart. It's because God graciously works in us the ability to have faith and trust him. Faith is confidence based on the internal work of the Holy Spirit. It's future-focused. It has an expectation that things will turn out as promised. When I married Chrissy, we were married then, but when she said that I do and made these vows to me and I to her, there was a future focus. It was true then, it's true now, and I have every reason to hope that it will be true tomorrow and 10 years from now, and on and on it goes. But ultimately, faith is future-focused. I want to point out a word there. In, my, in the ESV, it says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The King James probably has some, I think it has the word substance. What is going on is the translators are wrestling with what is the best way to translate the word hypostasis? Hypostasis. Ultimately, is something substantial that gives us reason to have assurance, reason to have hope. Let me explain to you how this word hypostasis was used in the Greek. It was used to describe foundations. Usually you don't see the foundation. It's underground, but without the foundation, the structure doesn't stand. When, my, when the church was built in Ellington, there was steel in the foundation. When I got married, there was steel in the words. It was the thing that gave me confidence that she meant what she said. They used the word to speak of the reality, the substance, the, the proof that held the building together. Without the foundation being strong, things would fall apart. Also, it was used in contracts. When business relationships were made, it was stated that the foundation, the thing that held it together, was hypostasis, this trust, this confidence that the other would hold up their end of the agreement. Faith is confidence based on the internal work of the Holy Spirit. It is internal evidence of what you hope for from God. As Christians, we, we hope that God will never leave us or forsake us because he said he wouldn't. As Christians, we have this hope that even though our loved ones may go to heaven before us, because we are in Christ and they are in Christ, there will be a glorious reunion. We have this hope. We have this hope and expectation that based on the word of God, God is faithful and just to, to forgive us of our sins. It means that when we muss up, and we will, when we can go to God and say, God, I was wrong, you were right, please forgive me for what I said, what I did, what I thought, and God will forgive us. But we also repent, which means turn away from the wrong direction. Because we have this internal evidence of what we hope for from God, we are confident in the face of the future. Faith is more than a feeling. Faith is both facts and feelings. The feeling is a sense of confidence in God. Who He is, what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. Faith is confidence in God and what, who He is, what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. What has God done? He spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. 
He sent His Son Jesus to live a sinless life among us, die on a cross in our place to pay for our sins and raise Him from the dead. Because of what He has done, we trust Him. Because of what He is doing, the fact that anybody ever believes in Jesus Christ and is gloriously saved is a testimony to God's ongoing work. We see people... I was just talking to a missionary just the other day and he was talking about how difficult it is in Europe to make disciples. And even still, God calls missionaries to Europe. And even still, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Even still, drug addicts are being delivered. Even still, marriages are being healed. Even still, broken hearts are healed. Yes, we speak the name of Jesus because we see that God still does and is doing great and wonderful things. This is why we continue to have hope in what he has done, what he's doing, and what he will do. That doesn't always mean everything's going to go smoothly or according to plan as we see it, but it means that we have trust that tomorrow God will be there. No matter how the elections turn out, God will be God. No matter who is president, Jesus is still king. No matter who is running the international organizations, Jesus is still Lord. And this gives us hope. This gives us reason to have faith. Let's talk more about faith in the biblical sense of the word. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. We're going to move from what is not controversial, and I'm going to end on the controversial stuff. I don't think it should be controversial to me. It gives me hope. But 1 Corinthians 12, 3. I want us to catch this. Faith in God is a work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now listen, you could have a house where a parrot is and, you can, and the, the people said Jesus is Lord enough times that parrot could repeat it. But what he's talking about is not just parroting the words, but actually believing that Jesus is Lord and thus saying so. He says nobody says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's a work of, of God. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. This is an interesting thing. Paul gives a prayer report. Here's what he says. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. Why would you thank God? Well, because it's right. Because, check this, your faith is growing abundantly. Why would you thank God that someone's faith is growing abundantly? Because God gets the credit. When we grow in faith, it's a work of God. I was saved in 1983, and I did okay for a while, but for seven years it was, went downhill to the point that I really wrestled with, was I ever saved in the first place? But then God gloriously awakened me, and I can see that my faith was growing. That was a work of God. Was there preaching involved? Sure. Was there Bible study involved? Yes. Was there ministry of others in my life that impacted me? Yes. But all of that is a means through which God pours grace into us. You know, for a little while, we're going to take Lord's Supper. That, too, has been understood to be a means of grace, as is baptism. When we see someone growing in faith, understand that that is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is a work of God in our lives. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When we have this idea that salvation is a gift of God, it's 
and not your own doing. It means it, it comes not from you, not from your effort, not from your intelligence. It comes from God working in you. And faith, you see, is the key that unlocks the door of salvation. It is what gives us access to grace. My understanding of this verse here is that even the faith itself was a gift of God. Textually, when you see that the word faith and grace actually come closer together than faith and salvation does, it might indicate and probably does that faith itself is a part of the grace. And so that's all. Some of you guys, your eyes are glassing over. Here's the point. Saving faith, growing faith, faith even as a spiritual gift, it's a work of God. And so understand that God, when someone has a growing faith, it's because God is at work in them. When someone has this gift of faith that impacts others, that's a spiritual gift, that's the work of God. One last verse, check it out later. Philippians 1.29, also a context of persecution. Here's what it says. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ not only to believe in him, but suffer for his name's sake. They were being persecuted for their faith. And they, Paul was saying, look, recognize that even hard times come to you at the hands of God. But he also says, sandwiched between all that is a statement that, we are, that believing in him is granted to us. It's granted to us. So it's a gift from God. Let's define faith after this point. Faith is internal confidence built upon the convicting testimony of the Holy Spirit that God is who He says He is and that He will do what He says He will do. Faith is internal confidence built upon the convicting testimony of the Holy Spirit that God is who He says He is and that He will do what He says He will do. When He warns us that judgment is coming because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we take Him at His word. When we believe that Jesus Christ was, is the only solution, the only hope by which man might be saved, we believe and we took him at his word. When the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and we prayed a simple prayer of faith, and then we got baptized, we were taking him at his word. We took him at his word at salvation because there was steel there. We take him at his word today when things aren't going the way we want, and we take him at his word because even when we look to the future and it doesn't look as good as we think it ought to look. But there is steel there. And God promised never to leave us or forsake us. Let me give you a couple quotes from preachers. Tony Evans says that faith is acting like God is telling the truth. If you want to increase your faith, grow in your understanding of God. Why would he say that? Well, he would say, we would, he would say that because our faith is ultimately truly built on the character of God. His holiness, his truthfulness. He's not a man that he should lie. When God makes a promise, a promise there's no need for a contract lawyer. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. And so faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Adrian Rogers says that God honors faith because faith honors God. Faith honors God. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God honors faith because faith honors God. And the last one is mine, but I think I might have borrowed it from another preacher. Faith is taking God at his word, acting on what he has said, despite how I feel. So that's our depiction of faith. That is a de definition of faith. Let's describe faith. What difference does faith make in our life? 
Well, first off, it is, the, it is what necessary for salvation. Believing in Jesus for redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Uh, it, it pleases God. He's honored. The, the men and women of old received their commendation, verse 2 said, because they believed God. They took God at His word, acted on what He has said. Some try to kind of confuse the issue. I would simply say this. When Abraham believed God, there was steel in his faith. But that steel showed up later as he built the life of following God. That life was not always perfect. He lied to protect his own skin rather than trust God. But at the moment of truth, his faith in God showed up when he offered his son on the altar. And God gave him the son back. It was a test that revealed the truth of his faith. We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. We already saw it. We are justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God. Most people don't believe this, but the reality is before we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are at enmity, hostile to him. We don't like what he has to say. We thumb him in the eye with his offer of salvation when we reject it. And the fact is, we find nice, neat ways to reword truth so that we can avoid what we know is the truth. I think it was R.C. Sproul was speaking to a group of atheists, and he said, God exists, but I'm pretty sure you know that. His point was, they created all these smart-sounding statements to defend their rejection of God. Make no mistake. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and we are saved by grace through faith. Thus, Adrian Rogers said, God honors faith because faith honors God. It pleases him. It shows that you think he is glorious enough to tell the truth. In a world where people shade the truth, pervert the truth, twist the truth, suppress the truth, but God is not a man that he should lie. And so we believed him, and that is ultimately the source of our salvation, but there's also, our faith is behind, it's the fuel that drives sanctification. Maybe you don't fully know what that word is, let me give you the Reader's Digest version of that word. Sanctification is us becoming holier, and thus more useful to God by abandoning sin and pursuing service to him in advancement of his kingdom. The people who read this letter were being tempted to back off. And so therefore, in Hebrews 11, he makes the statement about what faith is, and then for 39 or 38 more verses, he gives us what's called the Hall of Faith. In Canton, Ohio, we have the Hall of Fame where people, football players who did great things are memorialized for what they did on the, on the gridiron. Well, the Hall of Faith is people who believe God and acted on what they believe. After giving this description, he says this in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this hall of faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sometimes an athlete, when they're trying to build up their strength and speed, they'll run with a parachute on. Paul says, get the parachute off, get the, get the weighted vest off, and run with endurance because we've got a race to complete, a journey to continue. Verse 2, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, the pioneer, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Follow the example of Jesus is what he was saying. He endured the suffering and hardship of the cross. You may be suffering hardship because you have failed. Suffering hardship because people you love have failed. Suffering hardship because the world has gone topsy-turvy on us and we don't know what truth is. We, we, we don't even know what a lie is. We just call it a false narrative. Even in the midst of all of this confusion, God says, follow Jesus Christ. Pursue him. Get rid of the sin that slows you down. Get rid of the fear of what man thinks of you. Just follow God in obedience. That's what the text is calling for the Christian to do. Yesterday, today, and forever. So sanctification is believing in Jesus to the point that you lay aside sins. We all sin. It's a matter of confessing those sins, laying it aside, and determining to pursue a course of action that God would approve of. Believing in Jesus for the direction of your life. What does that look like? Well, it's by faith. When God calls you to do something or do something different than you've been doing, you answer. You obey. Abraham is the example that lead, he's like the leadoff hitter in the, in the hall of faith. He's the example pointed to. He believes God. God says, get this. Get up and leave this comfortable land with your dad and all of your relatives and leave and go to a land. Well, I'll show you when you get there is basically what God says. He doesn't even tell them where they're going. He just trusted him. Sometimes when we trust God, it's scary. It's weird because it's different and we like comfort. When I, when I left Ohio in 2005, I was scared. I didn't know. It was even harder when I got there. I mean, I was excited, but I was scared. And for a time, the wheels almost fell off. But we follow God regardless of what's going on around us. See, faith is taking God at his word, acting on what he has said, despite how I feel. Despite how I feel. Sanctification is ultimately then a step of faith in pursuing God even when hardship comes. Even when we fail, we confess, we make amends, we, we go in the right direction. And we become more useful to the king. And we become more like Jesus. So we've had faith defined, faith described, and faith displayed is what we're going to look at as we close. What has been a doctrinal sermon. I don't preach doctrinal sermons often, but this is a doctrine of faith. Faith displayed. What would this look like? Well, I think number one, as we've already touched on, laying aside sin. Laying aside sin. It comes to the point where you have to just say God's word was right and I was wrong. That's ultimately where repentance is. Literally, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which means a change of mind. You were doing one thing, thinking one thing, acting one way, and you realize that you were in the wrong and God was right. And you say, God, you were right, I was wrong, forgive me. But then it's changing direction. And that is a step of faith. If for no other reason, then it requires you to humble yourself and say, I was wrong. Laying aside sin. Pursuing God's purpose. Maybe you're not, like, that's not your issue. You just, you kind of, you're doing all right, you think, but the truth is, you know, God's got something else that he wants you to do or something different, something new, whatever it is. When God calls, you answer. That's ultimately what faith displayed looks like. Perhaps for you, that's a matter of, you know, if you're accessing yourself, you'd say, there was a time in my life when my zeal was 
was more fervent. When you read the book of Revelation, there's an interesting thing that shows up. Jesus confronts one of the churches, and he says, notice how far you have fallen. He's not doing it to beat them up. Sometimes preachers will stand up here and say, beat people up. Notice how far you've fallen. But even when Jesus confronts us, it's not because he wants to beat us over the head about ourselves. It's still we'll say, you're right. I am not the same Christian I was 10 years ago when I served with zeal. Help me, Lord, to follow you. Finally, continuing on and in faith is ultimately the display of faith. Someone once said that describes salvation and faith as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. We might call that perseverance. In our life as Christians, no one ever promised us it would go easy. Maybe 50 years ago, you, you kind of thought it would meant everything was going to be smooth, but now the senior saints who have been around the block a few times would tell you, yeah, no, it's not gone smoothly. It's not gone easy. I've messed up. My loved one's messed up. The church has messed up. The country's messing up. But our God hasn't. Everything he said about the human race and how we would function, how we get it right, how we get it wrong, he was dead right, bullseye. Who knew? 2,000 years ago when the Bible was completed, he knew. And so for Christians, sometimes a matter of continuing to pursue, even though it's gotten hard. Finally, we're about to take the Lord's Supper, and that is another, what we would call the means of grace. One of the ways that God communicates truth to us. But we, at, at Calvary, we practice Lord's Supper as a open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of Calvary Baptist. But we do ask that you be, make sure that you are a member of the family of God. How do you do that? Well, if you've come to the point in your life that you have put your, you, you recognize that you've sinned. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You recognize that you've sinned, but you believe God that he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross in your place, and he rose again. God doesn't want you to just say those things are true. He wants you to put your trust in Jesus. And so this morning, before we take Lord's Supper, if you have never put your trust in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. While we're all sitting in the seats, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And this morning, if you would like to pray to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, take my prayer, repeat it to the Lord Jesus from the heart, and you can do it quietly. There's no magic in the prayer. It's just a simple way that you can call on Jesus for salvation. Let's pray. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in my place to pay for my sins. And now in this moment of prayer, Lord, I confess my sins, turn from the pursuit of sins, turn to Jesus in faith, forsaking all others and following him only. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you pray that prayer for the first time, I would ask you, uh, find me or somebody else that you know is a mature believer and let them know that you called on Jesus and believed in him. And if you did pray that prayer, I would say welcome to the family. We're uh, so glad that God has called you. And I would encourage you with this before I sit down and Pastor Rob does Lord's Supper. If you felt led this morning to believe in Jesus, understand something. That was the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in you. 
It wasn't because I was a great speaker. I fumble over my words more than you guys realize, actually. It's because God is a great God, and there's steel in his words. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening.